Hi, I'm Gabrielle. I'm mother to Lucian, who was born in June 2020. Hello and welcome to the podcast that shares the remarkable stories of the families who had babies during the middle of a global pandemic. I'm Philippa Guillou and after my own baby was born in July 2020, I've been documenting the stories of the lockdown babies. Gabrielle, welcome to the podcast. I'm so, so pleased to have you on and pleased to meet you. We've heard a couple of June 2020 stories, but all in different parts of the country. And just as we kind of press record uh, on the interview, we were talking about, you know, how different parts of the country were affected differently. I'm here in central London, you're in the Midlands, and um, I know I've spoke to mums in the northwest of England as well. We've all kind of had the same experience, but there are some differences because of our kind of geographical location. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Take me back to March 2020-ish. Obviously, you were pregnant. Had your pregnancy been going pretty well and pretty smoothly up until the point where we got put into lockdown? Yeah, so I'd have been having a low-risk pregnancy. It had all been going quite well. It was quite, I'd say, quite a joyful time in our lives. You know, we were really excited about baby coming. And yeah, it was all kind of going okay. And then my husband and I had one of those weeks annual leave. It was March, you know, trying to use up your annual leave and returned to work and the whole conversation had changed within the office. And I work in kind of an area that's quite close to the healthcare, so I work in adult social care. So things had changed really, really dramatically. And I remember having to like Google what's PPE in a meeting, trying to figure out kind of what all these new acronyms meant. And I think the same day that I went back to work was the same day that pregnant women were told that they were vulnerable and was asked to go home at the end of the day. So, and I think at the time it was for 12 weeks. I was 28 weeks pregnant. So, that took me right up to my due date. So I kind of knew that the last trimester would be in isolation, really, and I wouldn't be kind of seeing people during that time. How did it feel when you packed up your stuff from work on that day, knowing that you very likely wouldn't come back before your baby was born? I I felt so sad about it. You you know, I was kind of leaving work at this real juncture, this real crossroads where things were at crisis point. You know, there was a real sense of like, let's get things right, try and kind of work together and get things done at the pace. And I was kind of get told I needed to go home. And I knew that was going to exclude me a bit from the work moving forward. It felt just really daunting to not be able to see family before having baby, um, all those different things, kind of a hundred things ran through my head at that point in time. Yeah, it was really kind of quite a daunting time. And I remember just walking home with like intermittent tears in my eyes, kind of thinking, oh, this is it really. This is it until the baby is born. So, yeah. No, I remember that feeling that you said about walking home. I got put in a taxi and then I was kind of sat in the taxi looking out the window thinking I was in like a music video because it was just such a strange thing to be told you have to go home and you likely wouldn't come back before your baby was born. How were you feeling at that point about whether you would actually get COVID or not? Were you worried about actually getting ill? I wasn't too worried about COVID. I kind of kept a balance. We followed all the rules and regulations and 
I didn't really kind of actually I think I would have been more worried about it but I think other worries kind of got in in the way really and that was mainly around pregnancy and the restrictions in place but actually COVID for me wasn't like the prevailing kind of fear that I had during that time it was more what COVID meant for my maternity journey that made made a difference for me. So I'm sure you were probably in the club that we all were all us mums that have been on the podcast and that had babies around that time in that it was this constant search for information, this constant search to try and find out what the restrictions were, where you lived, what that meant for, for your birthing story and the days and weeks after that. So how were you feeling, you know, as we started to approach June and you knew that baby was likely coming at any point? Uh, my anxiety has just kind of increased and increased and skyrocketed. And as I was habitually Googling, just going on Google, looking up restrictions, looking up to see if anything could change. I think that really kind of played with my anxieties because I was like reading horror stories. Um, and also really like nice stories, but they were also uh, for me always marred with the kind of sense that the person had been alone and things like that. So I found it a really, really unsettling time and I just, yeah, my anxieties just increased and increased. It was so badly communicated what the restrictions looked like and I was really naive to begin with. I thought, oh, you're allowed your birth partner with you because that was the exception at the time and I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. So, all right, there's some some common sense has prevailed here and you're allowed to take your birth partner with you. And it was only when I did an NCT course that I started to realise and other mums were kind of like saying, oh, this is how it looks, this is how it's going to be. And that's only when I realised kind of that I was unlikely to have my birth partner with me if there were like any complications beforehand and that it was having to have a postnatal stay, which let's face it, most new mums need a postnatal stay, that we'd be by ourselves for that. And that for me was just incredibly daunting and really, really scary process. It's just not a good mindset or feeling, is it, either to go into when you're about to have a baby, just to feel so tense and worried and anxious and on edge. It just goes against everything that, you know, we're told about, you know, how we should be relaxed going into labor and, you know, having our babies and it's natural and all of these lovely sentiments. But how could we? How could we possibly feel like that? Yeah, definitely. My anxiety has just increased and increased and increased. And I think the likelihood of me having kind of a natural birth just became less during that time because I was just a nervous wreck by the time that Lucian came. And I think I was having a low risk pregnancy, but as kind of the weeks went by, as my anxiety kind of like took over, my due date came and went and that typical story of kind of like an induction looking imminent and I just really had wanted to avoid my only chance of really kind of having my partner there was to have this kind of low-risk pregnancy walk in the hospital walk out the hospital with him afterwards Um, and that started to become less of a reality and my anxiety just I just wasn't functioning at that point Um, and I hadn't experienced anxiety like that ever before in my life Um, It was just a constant source of worry. So what did happen then for Lucien's birth and and how that all played out for you in the end? It got to his due date, um, which was early June, and Lucien just didn't come. There were no signs of him at all. One week, which was probably like the longest week of my life, turned into two weeks and an induction looked imminent. 
it was probably at that point that I'd, I'd had like the misfortunate situation where I'd seen a different community midwife nearly every time I'd gone to my appointments, um, which really hadn't helped because I was kind of seeing one midwife after another and I was saying, I'm really anxious, I'm really worried. And I was kind of being placated a little bit and said, oh, no, it, you've got nothing to worry about or quite minimized um, kind of what was going on within the hospital. A lot of kind of, well, you're having a low risk pregnancy, so this will look like this, this and this. So it was kind of quite difficult to really try and manage your anxieties when you were trying to trying to think optimistically about what your birth might look like. In the end, I ended up kind of having like a full on breakdown with the community midwife. And during the couple of weeks where I was waiting for Lucian, the national guidance did change. And it did say that it was up to the discretion of the hospital around visiting um, and with a particular reference to birth partners in there. So that kind of guidance that they kept kind of coming back to about government says that you can't have any visitors Um, had changed I naively thought the hospital would change their approach really quickly I just thought surely it's something that they don't want in place surely it's something that they would want to change as soon as they could surely they've seen the level of distress it's causing for parents but no nothing changed I was really naive in the sense that when that guidance changed I thought things would change within the hospital what it did mean was some of the guidance changed like and it did mean that the RCOG guidance had changed And so when I had that meeting with last session with my community midwife, I was just in a position where I was so anxious. I just broke down and I started quoting kind of the guidance has changed. You know, the RCOG guidance is different now. It says that you should have a birth partner if you're being induced. And I think the midwife kind of took stock at that point in time and and did make arrangements, fortunately, for my husband to be there. But I had had to reach breaking point for that to happen. I did feel like a sense of relief and then kind of your mind quickly goes into overload about, well, what would it look postnatally and how will things be? And yeah, so that was kind of what happened in, in the beginning. So I went into hospital, I went in with, I did eventually end up with my husband there for my induction and had like the typical kind of induced labour that kind of takes a while, um, not always kind of the most positive, kind of quite painful process, a long labour, long period of pushing and Lucian didn't come and I ended up needing to have an emergency C-section. So I think I'd been in labour for probably about 36 hours and then pushing for quite a long time and then Lucian came by our emergency C-section after attempts at every like little intervention along the way I was kind of quite delirious by the time that I had Lucian I'd, you know it'd been a really long process I was kind of in and out of sleep the C-section was probably like the most calming part of the process because I was out of pain at that point in time and then Lucian was born and and I was really lucky that he was born healthy and, and well at that point in time we were moved into a recovery bay and probably about 10, 15 minutes after the birth, staff from the labour ward turned up with all our kind of stuff, said to my husband, right, time to go home, time to get some rest. And that must have probably been about 20 minutes after the birth. I just wasn't in any fit state to kind of 
say anything at that point in time to advocate for myself I I think it was probably the most vulnerable position you could ever be in in your life something did happen something quite unusual happened and I ended up having to have an x-ray and my husband then was asked to stay with the baby on the lay ward whilst I went and had an x-ray and we did end up getting probably about two or three hours together as a family which I've ended up feeling incredibly grateful for, but I ended, you know, it had been kind of really tumultuous journey to even have those two to three hours. There was no visiting at all in the hospital at that point in time, so I was kind of faced with the prospect of just being alone for however long I was going to be in the hospital for, and that was one of kind of my greatest fears. Really, is you've had a child at the point in time I was really upset that my husband was going to miss out. But actually, what it really did was really hamper my recovery. And it meant that I was alone on a ward after just giving birth. I'd had major surgery. I was feeling really unwell. I was feeling really tired. I couldn't get to my son. I couldn't get to my hospital bag. I kind of just entered like a survival mode. And it was just a really, really difficult day. I was discharged really quickly, so I was discharged the following day, and that is probably when the problems started to get even worse in terms of my journey. So I was just kind of, I know that there was kind of this want to get people out of the hospital as quickly as possible at that point in time, but I was just told, you you know, you're going home tomorrow, and I thought being at home would be the better place because I couldn't do anything, I couldn't meet any of my basic needs. The hospital, there wasn't additional staff in place to deal with these restrictions. It wasn't as if they nominated anybody to kind of be with you or provide that emotional support. So it was a really difficult process. And all those things, I think they've been said before on the podcast about like, wanting to get a shower. I'd, you know, I'd been sick. I'd, I was covered in blood. I, I really needed to have a shower. But that just wasn't an option for me because I didn't want to leave my baby alone with nobody on a ward. Um, You know, all those things that run through your head and, yeah, just really quite traumatic process. And when I left the hospital, I had to, like, take a breather because I'd become so preoccupied with the restrictions. I'd said to myself, you've got to move on from this. You've got to get over this. It wasn't what you planned you know I know that I'm not the only person that's been in this situation I just tried to mentally try and shift my mindset that right we've got to just get on and we've got to enjoy this period now it's over with but I don't think I was ready to be discharged um, in the sense that I was a new mom I didn't know what I was doing feeding wise and things like that and then I, as I say I think kind of our troubles really started at the point of being discharged from the hospital the first kind of day we were home and then we had a midwife visit and I really started to think that Lucian wasn't feeding very well. I don't know, I think every mum kind of probably feels that the first time that they have a baby and I think every midwife probably knows that every mum feels that way after having a baby. Just kind of all the signs he was feeding for absolutely ages, he was kind of really struggling and we started to see kind of less wet and dirty nappies and things like that, all the trigger signs that you have. A midwife did come round and weigh Lucian. That's when things really felt, started to become really kind of like farcical in our journey. 
they asked my husband to not be in the house when they weighed Lucian. I'm so confused about this. I, I can't actually deal with this because somebody else told me this as well. What the heck? Anyway, sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but... And it was it was so like contradictory because the day before the midwife had come and she'd been absolutely fine with him being there. The next day a midwife came, she was wearing like a full on hazmat suit and came to weigh my son. And I just really started to feel like this is kind of getting out of control now, really. She told me that my son had lost 11% of his body weight and that we had to go to A&E. And obviously my husband wasn't allowed to be in the room or in the house when she was telling me this. And I was just at the point of, you know, I'd not really slept at all since the birth, since before the birth of Lucian. So it was all those kind of, I was feeling really emotional. We went to A&E, again, A&E told my husband immediately to kind of leave I'm stuck with a baby in a car seat and I'm two days post-operative at this stage I'm really struggling to get to him in his um, car seat I'm really struggling to bend over I'm really struggling with feeding but I can't get to my child I think the week that that happened was the week where they'd introduced kind of face masks into the hospital and I'd kind of made a makeshift face mask it was one you know when you're kind of like breathing in you're breathing in the face mask as well it was probably the hottest day of the year and we were there for absolutely hours and I was becoming like really dehydrated um, that's it because you can't even get yourself a water because you can't carry the car seat with you to the water machine down the corridor so then you just don't end up having a drink and it's just it's just all these tiny little things that seemingly you know on their own are just as small details but when they all compound together it's just not a good place for you to be with your brand new tiny baby absolutely definitely and it really I think that the whole trauma of it was just really compounding the stress of it all and everything they say about being kind of relaxed and relaxed back into it that was just not something that was allowed for us as like lockdown mums I yeah I was seen in hospital they said that he was feeding okay and we were discharged again we had a really really difficult night with Lucian and ended up back in A&E the following day Lucian just wouldn't settle um he was kind of he, he stayed up the whole night he was feeding constantly and it could tell at this point that he was really really struggling to kind of feed kind of everything you read says oh this is cluster feeding this is normal you know this is what happens don't give them formula because that will just step you you know that will stop you further back in your process and I went back into the hospital again, same process. Tom wasn't allowed to be there. And at that point, we were readmitted to hospital. And that was probably one of the worst things that happened in terms of the journey. When you kind of have feeding difficulties, anyone will tell you they feel like an enormous amount of guilt and shame around them anyway. I was taken up to and I naively thought I was going to back to the postnatal ward but actually I was put on a paediatric ward and I wasn't just put on a normal paediatric ward I was put on a paediatric ward for two to 12 year olds which I didn't find out till a very long time after. I was put on like a full full bedded bay and it was quite different to postnatal ward in the sense that 
it was very busy and bustling and really incredibly noisy. The children on there were a lot older and a lot poorlier than Lucian. Like they, you know, these were children that were unwell. I'd say babies, but they weren't babies. I was immediately kind of had discharge paperwork filled in by a nurse and unfortunately I think she it was kind of quite a bad-tempered nurse that really kind of just wasn't incredibly helpful but set this sewed the scene really for the rest of my stay within the hospital and she kind of met me with kind of a list of restrictions within the paediatric ward I wasn't allowed to collect my bag from my husband. I was told that I was the visitor in this situation, so they had kind of no responsibilities for me whatsoever. They told me that I wasn't allowed to draw my curtains around my bed. They told me that I was to stay on the bed, so I couldn't even like mobilise, or the only thing that I could do was go to the toilet. Well, sorry, hold on a sec. So they told you you couldn't really get off your bed. But of course, how do you recover from a C-section? Absolutely. Is to move around. I I can't believe what I'm hearing. It just gets worse. Yeah, they wouldn't let me move from the bed. And yeah, they said just to go to the toilet if you needed to. I I was like three days post-operative at this stage. I wanted to make like a proper recovery. But I, you know, what you get told is you need to mobilise after you've had a C-section. You need to be able to move around. That, again, wasn't an option for me. Yeah, I was met with kind of this whole list of things that I wasn't able to do. I'd also been given these injections that you get given, the hideous injections that you get given with a C-section. And they kind of wouldn't, I, I hadn't got to the point where I was confident doing them by myself and they wouldn't help me with those. It was just really starting to become quite a hostile kind of process. What they did with me, which is really common when you've got a child that can't feed, is they asked me to follow this triple feeding process where they tell you to breastfeed, then pump, then they top up with formula. And that kind of process, they ask you to do every three hours, but it was taking me two and a half hours to do that process. They wouldn't kind of sterilize anything or do anything and support me in any way with it. So I was doing that full process every three hours and it left a half hour window to do anything in terms of anything for yourself. But because of the ward that was almost incredibly noisy and loud, I just wasn't getting any kind of rest or I was really at that point had become quite delirious I was not able to kind of function properly I wasn't even able to kind of focus on anything you know when your mind is just in overdrive and you can't relax at all they wouldn't let me have any privacy when I was on the ward so I was doing this kind of on display in front of kind of uh, uh, you know three other parents and three other children who were able to ask who were of an age where they were able to ask questions about what I was doing and it was just a totally humiliating exercise and then the other thing was that the reception was really poor but also the wi-fi was really bad so I couldn't even speak to my husband during that time I was just totally cut off from any level of support I was really like visibly distressed as well. I don't know whether it was the whole like cocktail of hormones kicking in at that point, but I was just in absolute floods of tears the whole time I was there. And there's just no no attempt was made to kind of do anything or address the situation. On day two, I just had to beg to leave. I had to say, 
I can give my son formula at home. I can do all this at home. We can get a breast pump. We shouldn't be here. I felt like, and I know this sounds really inflated, but it felt like being arrested. You know, you feel that enormous amount of shame anyway and guilt. And I was feeling I've done something terrible. My son's lost his weight. And then you're kind of met with this level of hostility and, you know, you're here and this is how you're going to stay on your bed and this is how things are going to be. It was just really, really horrific. And I was shown a bit more empathy towards the end of the stay. That There was a nurse that really like took me under her wing and made sure that I was discharged and kind of agreed it wasn't the right place to be. And then I think that that had destroyed me really and that was the start of kind of motherhood and I I left that hospital thinking oh gosh I've gone through kind of a living hell right now you know it was tortuous at times and I felt really just horrified by what had happened and also a bit ashamed of it as well and not able to speak to people about it you know because I just felt this immense amount of shame about what had happened and the way that been treated hadn't helped in terms of kind of that process so we kind of carried on trying to breastfeed him I was like hell-bent on breastfeeding him because of what had happened and not making that hospital mission go to waste but you know we just couldn't get any community support we couldn't get the breastfeeding team wouldn't see people face to face it was at that really weird period of time where things were reopening you know non-essential shops were reopening all the kind of community society was kind of reopening gently um, and we just couldn't access any of the support that we needed it was only probably about six weeks later that kind of another mum that I knew said she'd been to a breastfeeding clinic that I then knew that they were kind of re-seeing people Um, and this was kind of six weeks after Lucian had been born I ended up going to a breastfeeding clinic that they kind of again did that whole thing where they felt like it was going okay and saying it's going okay and I kind of left again but really carried on struggling and then I think I kind of plucked up the confidence to speak to a family member and say this look, this is what happened and I don't know I don't know what's right or wrong, you know. And they said they thought it sounded like he had tongue tie, which I then later, you know, got diagnosed at eight weeks. But I'd had this horrific hospital stay, not nothing had ever been done to explore anything or look at any kind of underlying issues. I'd just been kind of contained on a hospital ward for two days and then it was confirmed he had tongue tie and I did get it resolved and it did make things a little bit better but eight weeks down the line is too late and I shouldn't we shouldn't have had to wait for things to reopen to be able to get that support. We even like at that point got told yes he does have tongue tie but the hospital that you would normally go to to get the tongue tie resolved can't see people out of city well the hospital that we wanted to go to was probably a mile out of the city boundary and that was kind of their excuse at that point in time you could go on a foreign holiday it was just really ridiculous and then when we ended up getting on it privately we had to go 20 miles out of city to go and get it done so nothing made any sense nothing was kind of adding up in terms of the support that we received I became at that point became so disenfranchised with health services at that point I don't think that they at that point were acting kind of in our best interests I think 
it was more about what was expedient what was the quickest thing to do the most convenient thing to do and I just think we saw so many corners cuts left right and center that was kind of the the difficulties we had I ended up feeling really unwell as a consequence so it was probably about six months that it just all kind of hit me and actually really that should any of that have happened and I really started questioning and I started to feel this immense amount of rage and anger about the situation and that why had we been put in this situation I had this real sense of grief as well about his birth and how it looked and felt kind of really unwell about how things had been for us as a family. I felt like I wanted to have given birth at a different point in time, you know, all those kind of feelings and go back and advocate for myself better, all those kind of things that you kind of start to ask yourself. along. But it's not until a few months later when you're a bit more rested and you know in the moment because I took like oh god what you just said I relate to on every single level where you know six months down the line it sort of all hits you like a ton of bricks and you sort of have all these regrets and you look back and think oh that shouldn't have happened I should have advocated myself etc etc but in the moment what were you supposed to do yeah it's it was really hard in terms of that and you 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 just question everything why did I not ask those questions why did I and then you have to kind of say to yourself I didn't ask those questions because I was so severely sleep deprived I didn't ask those questions because I had nobody with me asking anything else along the way I had nobody advocating for me and also we were, you know, we were met with a health service that just wasn't functioning properly. And I hate to say it, but the amount of corners that were being cut and it was all the restrictions, but it was all the kind of cutting corners as well. And uh, that really kind of added up in terms of our journey. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think when you add to that, the fact that the people that you're dealing with or having interactions with can't even show you kindness I think just kind of compounded everything and I I get it you know our health service look my mum's a nurse she worked you know throughout the pandemic I get it I I I don't want to sound really negative about our healthcare professionals who work tirelessly to look after us and save our lives when we you know get hit by a bus or whatever but they had been ground down so much that they couldn't even show kindness and I think that the lasting effects of how somebody speaks to you and how somebody treats you can be even more profound than, you know, the actual treatment or, you know, the actual sort of why you're in hospital, why it's how people treat you that that leaves an impression on you. Absolutely, definitely. And I do think that the level of empathy that was shown around it was just totally lacking. And I do get that people were ground down. I do get that kind of compassion fatigue and that people were just on their last legs as well but to kind of go into a hospital where where there's these huge restrictions and nobody acknowledged that it's difficult for you until things kind of go fundamentally wrong is is just um, and even to this day I don't think even though when I've had counselling and things like that I think there's still been a reticence to try and say actually it was because of the actions of what's happened to you it's almost as if oh you know postnatal depression happens and PTSD happen and it you know it's not associated with what had happened through our journey but yeah it's been a, a really difficult road to recovery really in terms of 
trying to kind of deal with the trauma of, of giving birth during that time definitely that kind of issue around compassion and I think by the time I gave birth the restrictions had been placed for three months and I think professionals had just become really really hardened to them that kind of level of discretion or just enabling you to to look at things differently in different ways had had just gone out the window at that point on your ward maybe the rule was that everyone left their curtains open but surely anyone in their right mind would think this is a new mum who's trying to breastfeed and that's why she's here because she's having feeding issues surely anybody in their right mind would think it makes total sense for you to be allowed to shut your curtains and that was a ward for two to 12 year olds so the likelihood of them having someone on there that was breastfeeding it was really like slim in terms of so they weren't used to people being on that ward the reason I was on a two to 12 year old ward again was because of COVID and them saying that we've had to put all of our people that maybe had a slight cough onto the naught to two year old ward. I gave birth in June, which I know seems now in history to be the beginning of the pandemic, but it was after 14 weeks of lockdown. The cases were incredibly low. The um, amount of people in the hospital was incredibly low at that point in time. So it was it was just being used as an excuse, left, right and centre. to just Well, it still is today. Do what was quickest or what was most expedient. So, yeah. yeah it's it been two years, Gabrielle, and it's still being used as a, an excuse. Oh, it's because of COVID. It's been two years. Oh, it makes me so, so mad. Gabrielle, I can't believe what I've just heard. It just sounds like a total disaster. And it just sounds like nobody, you know, nobody should have to go through that and have to endure that. And it's no wonder that your mental health suffered as a result. And I know that very likely lots of other parts of your life suffered as a result as well. And you you just mentioned briefly that, um, so did you get diagnosed with, with PTSD and, yeah, and postnatal depression? After a while, I think, you know, it was hard to get support in the right place. Um, I mean, I think if anybody had a baby during that time, they'll know that they didn't even have access to health visitors or didn't have kind of access to any kind of postnatal support. Given everything that happened with Lucian, I would have expected from the discharge from the hospital for us to be followed up by somebody, but nothing happened and we really thought, we really struggled to even get him weighed at any point. And he'd lost 13% of his body weight and was readmitted to hospital. And I think if you can't even get your son or daughter weighed and you've been through that, I don't know kind of what, what other what other issues will come to surface. I think some of it is coming to the surface now about what's not been found out during the pandemic. But we were just kind of left to it. I spoke to my health visitor over the phone, of course, because uh, they didn't visit. And yeah, I just kind of talked through what had happened and said, I think I'm experiencing some trauma related to what has happened. And she was very helpful at that point in time and did say kind of a list of things to do. She said to do the listening clinic at the hospital, which I think is kind of quite a common thing to kind of suggest. She said to maybe speak to a trauma-informed midwife. And also to make a complaint, because I think she felt at that point in time that things just didn't stack stack up in our maternity journey, like regardless of all the restrictions that had happened. So we kind of did go through all three of those options. And I, I did do some kind of um, listening therapy at that point in time. 
And that did help as so much as to kind of be able to talk to somebody about what happened. But what it probably didn't do was kind of address kind of because what I was having was kind of these flashbacks and waking up when my son started to sleep a lot better. I started to realize I couldn't sleep anymore. I was starting to have like nightmares and just reliving kind of the situation on the postnatal ward and the the paediatric ward yeah and it was so complicated the trauma was so complicated for anyone I think that gave birth during that time because it wasn't just one thing that went wrong it was just like a whole catalogue of things that were quite deeply traumatic that we'd had to encounter along the way plus three months of real worry and anxiety leading up to the birth so it was a real mess in terms of all these different feelings that I had can I ask you a bit more about um, about the complaint that you put into the hospital? I, I, I've spoke to um, a few mums who've kind of said things like, oh, I, I still want to put in a complaint, but actually you have to do it within 12 months unless there was like a very special circumstance, I believe anyway. How did that process go and did the response help? Did it help at all? So I would say with doing a complaint is that it, it can bring back all those emotions and we made a complaint it took me an awful long time to write everything down and write because because lots had gone wrong it took me so long to kind of articulate what I think had gone wrong and even when I look back on that complaint I think I didn't even sum up half of it you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. makes sense Um, I think it's really important that people do complain because Hospitals have a habit if they haven't heard feedback about something to think that everything's okay. And I think that certainly happened during this situation, I think, because it takes women a while to actually have the mental capacity to be able to actually make a complaint. Exactly. That's why, like, the 12-month thing doesn't make sense because... I often wonder whether whether I should put in a complaint about my experience and but it's only really now that I feel that I would be strong enough to and it's been two years. I would probably still recommend making a complaint. Um, it took me the best part of nine months to be able to actually write it to get it to actually feel like I had even even the time to do it with a newborn baby. I think that's probably one of the reasons why maternity services don't find out because it's so busy anyway after giving birth that you don't have the capacity to sit down and write down what you were feeling and what happened. So I think that was a big issue. I think 12 months is something that they say, but by all means, kind of giving that feedback, the hospital should be able to, to at least take the feedback and maybe not be a formal complaint. The The thing that I found about the complaint was that the hospital... The maternity services kind of said, oh, it was, you know, we're really sorry, but you gave birth during a really awful time and kind of all these restrictions were in place for for your own safety and for the safety of the baby. But they were a little bit more empathetic in terms of their understanding. The paediatric ward was just like, this is how it is and this is how it was. And that kind of, for me, just made the situation just a lot worse, that lack of kind of ownership of yeah. of, of actually what had happened and that that was okay. And I think they do often kind of present information in a way that they hope that you just won't question. 
finding out kind of what the hospital looked like at that point in time in terms of COVID cases and things like that I kind of had all that information to hand and I so knew they just came of, back yeah. to you with loads of stats basically yeah loads of stats you know things that you you wouldn't normally be able to argue with yeah okay well we had you know it was COVID and things like that so things that kind of you they hope that I think you're going to accept but yeah I found it it's a it's a bittersweet process because it obviously won't change what happened at all and also I found it really triggering when they said things like that there was no visiting when you gave birth but there is visiting now and I think it's almost as if well what difference will that make because that doesn't make any difference to us I'm really pleased for women now that no one will go through that again it's not a response to our complaint no but it's like yes okay that's fine but why when I gave birth were there no visiting restrictions you're not answering that question because what was your evidence to suggest that that was the best thing to do and I think that's what what we're finding so difficult isn't it that nobody wants to accept that maybe that wasn't the right thing to do and I think that actually if somebody just kind of came forward and said actually do you know what yeah this has caused a lot of trauma we've realized now that there weren't the right restrictions and that we made him maybe made a mistake. That's what we want to hear. And that's what we need to hear. And I think they're maybe scared to say that and scared to admit that mistakes were made. But that's in a way what I need to hear. Absolutely. And I, I, I maybe it's a strong word, but I always felt like slightly gaslit by the whole experience, made to feel like you were the only one that was questioning it. You were the only one that was upset by it, you know, that uh, actually it was not it was nothing significant what happened to you. And that's kind of what I felt like. And even the response to the complaint felt like that a little bit like I think at one point somebody had written. Um, it was your perception that there was no services available. There were no services available. You know, it wasn't a perception thing. We really, really struggled to get support. There was no, you know, the, these teams were saying, no, we will not see you face to face. That that it wasn't to do with perception. It was to do with how things were being delivered at that point in time. What has changed in my life is that I'm actually pregnant again and that kind of was very difficult and I've heard a lot of mums talk on the podcast about maybe I don't want to have another child you know after everything that's happened and I really did feel like that for a long time I felt like I couldn't go through that again this time round, I've been able to advocate for myself a lot better and actually have noticed a real difference in terms of the journey and the support that's been offered. And I've just been really clear that we cannot end up in the situation that we've we ended up with, with Lucian because of because of everything that it caused us as a family, the upset, the heartbreak, the trauma, everything. So, but it, and have it, you felt su- supported? I have, I have, but I think that same kind of reticence still exists to not fully acknowledge what those restrictions meant. I still think that kind of exists to this day that actually, you know, it was our reaction to it or the, the, the my reaction to it is an exaggeration of what happened or, or things like that, that it's not necessarily kind of everybody's experience I'm not saying that everybody experienced this in this way but I don't think it's necessarily I still think to this day it's still reticence around trying to accept that it was these restrictions that caused this level of trauma and this level of upset so yeah 
Wow, gosh. I, I Well, congratulations. Um, that's really lovely, lovely news. I can totally sympathize that you'll you'll be having you'll be sort of like cautiously optimistic about how the next few weeks and months will play out for you and and kind of hoping that things will be different and I I really pray and hope that they are for you and that you get the care and the the treatment that you deserve this time around will you let me know how everything goes and and how things are different this time around yeah absolutely and I you know I'm not I think for any mum that went through what we went through I'm in my head thinking well actually none of this existed until I was 28 weeks pregnant so all these restrictions came in overnight we didn't plan for any of this to happen we didn't know that this was going to happen at the beginning of our maternity journey we knew nothing of restrictions we knew nothing of what would happen and I think that's kind of still on the back of my mind that everything could the whole world could turn on its head again and that we could end up in the same situation but this time around I felt better able to advocate for myself I've had like a little bit more consistency with the midwives involved um, and just know kind of I think as first-time mums you don't know what to how to advocate for yourself because you don't know how badly things can go wrong do you or you can't say I've had trauma previously or you've not not got a leg to stand on in terms of trying to get things right for you that first time round. And I think, yeah, that was the, the real difficulty kind of in our journey is that we j- I just felt like I was unable to advocate or kind of say this is how things should be. What is it that you hope has been learnt from all of this? I think, you know, we've just been saying that we don't really think our health service wants to kind of own up and say that mistakes were made. But what do you hope has been learnt? I think the first thing really is about... I think a birth partner and a mum should be treated just as just one unit. I don't think they should be seen as anything different. And I think that should have been the case from March onwards, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. We should never, ever have seen people as, as a two different entities. And that's what's caused trouble. And that's what's caused this absolute fight and tug of war to try and get birth partners back on the wards, try and get their rights reinstated. And I just think that's personally what I think needs to be learned. But also the really, really evidential thing for me was that maternity services, and I think this was just evident before the pandemic as well, just don't play enough importance on the mental health of people going through birth. And and I think that's just a really important thing moving forward is that, yes, there are, are, you know, there's the need to support people with complications and there's the need to kind of support physically through birth. But actually, giving birth is a life changing situation. There is mounds and mounds of evidence about what prevents postnatal depression, what causes postnatal depression. And almost everything that you can list to say what would cause postnatal depression, what would cause PTSD, was apparent in our maternity journey. You know, the stress that was caused by these restrictions, the anxiety that was caused by these restrictions, the lack of support, the sleep deprivation, everything that came with these restrictions was just allowed, was just kind of, that's fine, it's fine for this situation. And I do think, and I think you might have mentioned this on a podcast before, is is the cost of this and it's not just the cost of 
you know, I've had to have counselling and I, I made sure I had that counselling on the NHS. I made sure that they were the people that resolved this for me as a matter of point, really, because the NHS wasn't there for me when I had my child, when when I kind of needed that support. So they can unpick this situation for me now if, if, if that's what they want. But also... I'm now going through birth again. I'm having to have additional things put in place to make sure that it's not as traumatic. And I can't be the only person that's in that situation. The cost of the NHS, I'm going to have a planned C-section, things like that, all those things that perhaps I wouldn't have needed to have, but I'm going to have this time round because of how traumatic things were. It was a really short-sighted decision. And I think the other thing that really kind of, we talked about this at the very beginning was the postcode lottery that kind of resorted and actually is it fair to have a postcode lottery about people's rights to maternity care I don't know how that was ever allowed to kind of happen and you have one hospital in Birmingham that's allowing two hours a week still and you know and hospitals that have back to normal and people's maternity journeys just completely and utterly differing because of those kind of restrictions being in place so yeah I think there's lots of learning to to come from it and just um one final question which I think you'll know I I put to all my mums but if you could sum up your your whole experience in in one word what would your word be it was traumatic it was one trauma laid upon another trauma and that's not even mentioning kind of the year of isolation that we all experienced as mums. You know, we were pretty much, I spent pretty much all of my maternity leave in some kind of isolation. And that did probably make the, the trauma more profound for me as well, because I was just constantly thinking about it in my head with no one to talk about it. But yeah, it was traumatic, I would say. Absolutely traumatic. And how are you, by the way? I want to just say, you know, how are you now in your whole healing journey? I know you're going into your next pregnancy, so you, you've reached a point where you feel strong enough and able to do that. But but otherwise, how are you? I'm feeling a lot better these days and a lot more optimistic. And yeah, some of the things that really helped was just coming out of that lockdown, going back to work. Unfortunately, I had to go back to work at almost the same time as lockdown eased. But just kind of that return to normal, a bit of normality and being able to see people and actually feeling confident enough to talk about what happened and, and feel OK. Because I don't think it was really that well known about how restrictive birth was for women during that time. I don't think it got much attention, particularly until probably September when there was a lot of campaigning around it. I don't think it got that much attention and people were more likely to talk about weddings being cancelled and zoos being closed than actually talking about women not having respectful care during pregnancy and I do think being pregnant again I felt a little bit naive about maybe this will be kind of healing or things like that it does bring back the trauma a little bit going back into the hospital you have to kind of be prepared for all that but as I say it's been quite supportive the process for me so far. A big thank you to Gabrielle for sharing her story. Please don't forget that if you ever feel like you need support or are struggling with any of the topics that we talk about, there are links in the show notes which might be helpful to you. If you want to get in touch, you can message me on Instagram. Just search Lockdown Babies Podcast and I'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>